Hey everybody, welcome back into the Horseshoe Lounge at Roosters. This is the live show and it's a fun, casual conversation at a fun, casual joint. There are no actual <laughs> Buckeyes or former Buckeyes on the panel today. Sorry. They're all on a boat. They're all on a boat. Oh. Raising money for the Buckeye Crews for cancer. We we went through the entire roster of everyone who's ever been on this show and they're all on the boat. So well, instead... Well, not ever. Some of them are at Thayer Munford's bachelor party. That's true. They, they may be on a boat there too. I'm not sure. Set in Vegas? I would imagine. Yeah. Sounds like a last time. Those people will be coming back today, but they probably weren't going to be ready to jump on the show and talk about the Buckeyes. So instead, it's the first time ever. No, we've had three-man rotations before. I'm just saying that the four of us did a full show together. I don't believe that's ever happened. No, no, no because you never got to the bottom of the list before <laughs> and had to bring me on. <laughs> so we went and we tabbed the king of the north himself, hmm. Doug Maurice, in here hanging out at Roosters. Bill Landis, Jeremy Birmingham, and me. So let's reset and get ready for spring ball by talking about the Ohio State offseason, which appears to be finally over and complete with the 10th member of the coaching staff, which is James Laurinaitis. So you've had the transfer portal open and close. You had the recruiting, two different signing periods, two mm-hmm. different signing days. You had roster retention and a bunch of coaching staff shenanigans besides the 10th member. So which part, Doug? has been the most successful part of the offseason for the Buckeyes. Well, I, I sent this out to our uh, tech subscribers who are part of our, our thing here at the podcast. And I, uh, the coaching staff, I think these 10 assistant coaches, this might be the best staff, 1 through 10 or 1 through 9, that Ohio State's had since the 2002-2003 staff that won the national title. It had four guys who went on to be head coaches, Mel Tucker, Luke Fickle, Mark Snyder, Mark D'Antonio, in terms of top-level guys and not glaring weak links because basically almost every staff since then, there's been somebody who got a job at Ohio State because of who they were related to, and that's not the case anymore on this staff. So I think when you when you talk about adding guys like Matt Guerrero and James Laurinaitis, and you have up-and-comers like Keenan Bailey and, and what Tim Walton is doing as a veteran right now, and you put Chip Kelly on top of that with Jim Knowles and Brian Hartline, like, to me, it's as good as you've seen in two decades. So I, I have to start there. 2014 staff was pretty good. Bill and I got a question about that, I think, on Freaky Friday. Friday. Yep. Like, yeah. When was the last time they had both play callers in the booth? Like, we went back and were thinking about the alignment of the 2014 staff. Again, another one that won a national championship, probably not a coincidence. Luke mm-hmm. Fickle counts double for that. Somebody else who went on to be a head coach, Chris Ash. Uh, you know, Tom Herman. Tom Herman, obviously, with that job. So was it three head coaches on that one? Uh, I guess it was. But yeah. Drayton. Drayton was. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's oh, true. Yeah. So I guess Temple. It's, Temple. It, it's a tie there for four. It's so important. I mean, we think about that all the time, and we just talk about, well, the, the rosters are going to win you a national championship, and you have to have them, but if you don't have an elite coaching staff, they're probably not going to get there on their own. To me, the biggest thing of this offseason isn't really that tangible. Like when you talk about the success of you know, the transfer portal or, or the hirings, it's just Ohio State was on the brink of things going, I think, on tilt uh, at the beginning of uh, January, and the way that Ryan Day, for being so inexperienced, has like completely shifted the national narrative in a month is something that I don't think anyone would have really expected based on the first five years of his career. Not because he had shown that he was incapable of doing that, but just because he hadn't done it. And it did feel, um, after 
the Missouri loss, even though that, you know, people inside out were probably not thinking about that loss in such a catastrophic sense. But nationally, I think people are looking at it going, what is going on there? And it's completely shifted now where, you know, you don't give out offseason trophies, obviously, but Ohio State has won the offseason around college football, which is not something that's happened in a long time. Um, and it could have gone very decidedly in the other direction. And the fact that Ryan Day was able to add the players he did in the portal, uh, do what he did on the coaching staff. I mean, first bringing in Bill O'Brien and then being able to pivot so quickly to Chip Kelly. Like, that was a, a very, like, oh, our coach has grown up. And I, I, I think that that was a bit of, like, a question mark for people after November, right? I gave you the option to pick the best part of the offseason. I picked all you of it. said all of it? The whole offseason. <laughs> oh, yeah. The whole thing. Yeah, yeah that's right. Good. just went full Schlegel on Yeah, them. I mean, but it's true. I mean, because it's, it's you were on the verge of being a national punchline. And, I mean, there are still people who will um, look at Ohio State that way until Ryan Day beats Michigan again or uh, until they can, you know, get the uh, another national championship. So people are going to view it that way regardless because there's people who are just hater-ass haters. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but uh, I, I do think that – when you look at how this offseason could have gone, like the fact that it didn't and it went the exact opposite, a 180-degree turn, like that was unexpected. That's why I think the the players that decided to come back, I think is like this, the Doug is right on the staff stuff and Burm is right on the whole offseason. <laughs> like, how can he be wrong? Yeah, how can Got he be it. wrong? That, yeah. the, 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 the players who decided to come back um, who could have gone off to the NFL is the biggest part of it for me because it provided – instant stability for what Berm is talking about. Like I like I agree there. If they didn't bring back those guys and you were waiting for like, like transfer news I think makes people feel a little bit better, but this roster would have had a lot of holes in it. Um I don't I don't know what they would have done. Like Ryan Day went out of his way to remind us that they only took six transfers. Like they're high profile transfer, but they still only took six. That's not a high number compared to the rest of the sport. And teams have like twenty I think Louisville has twenty five. Um they would have had double Double that if the guys who decided mm-hmm. not to come back um, didn't play, and then that in a weird way like Castle Ohio State in, in, in a strange light because they're not a program that would typically load up on transfers. So, like all those guys in that twenty twenty one recruiting class that decided to come back, not go get the NFL money, and I don't really care what the motivation is, right? Whether it's NIL money, whether it's improving draft stock, or whether it's wanting to come back and beat Michigan, it's probably a combination of all three. And I don't care which of the ones is the top of the list for them. They're back. That's all that matters to me. That was huge. Like that. That was that was instantaneous coming off of an embarrassing bowl game, this program's not falling apart yeah. because all these guys have decided to come back for one more year to help this program get to where it needs what to get to. What I think interesting, Bill, is that if you look at the guys that did leave, like the 17 or 18 guys that did leave, right, how many of those guys would have stayed if those other guys were, weren't coming back or weren't talking about it? Because I think that some of the, the attrition they had, like you, uh, we view it, I think, in most cases outside of like Chip Trainum or Julian Fleming, I think – we can look at the roster and say they got stronger because of this attrition, probably. I mean, if mm-hmm. if you have to replace, and this is not to knock any players that have left the program, but if if the goal here is okay, well now we got Ryan Turner and um, Jair Brown at corner with Jermaine Matthews, then all of a sudden it becomes a much different conversation sure. heading into the next year. So I don't know that all those guys like the the Jermaine Matthews return, the the Jordan Hancock coming back, the uh, Denzel Burt coming back. Those guys were the reason that the Ryan Turners and Jair Browns were saying we don't. There's there's no path for us here. But if the path was for those guys to be there, like then what does this team look like? So I I think that 
like there were holes, but you also were just going to have to have the guys that clearly weren't good enough being starters. Yeah. Or even ready. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the guys who decided to put off the NFL and come back are the most important part of the off season to Bill's point. It goes further than just their good players staying on the roster. I don't know how much of what happened in January after that, including the coaching staff, including the transfer portal additions, how similar that actually looks if the national narrative is still about Ohio State falling apart and all of their good players are leaving. Like, would Will Howard have wanted to play for Ohio State if Emeka Ibuka was not coming back and Marvin Harrison and Julian Fleming were already gone? Maybe yeah, he would. Maybe yeah, he would. Yeah, yeah, he would have. I mean, if the other option is the NFL, like, how much is that going to go help if you – if you don't know who's going to be on the offensive line block. I don't think Caleb don't... Downs would have come and played in the secondary yeah. where he was the only guy who had any experience. Yeah, I, I just think right, know, he would have ended up at Georgia. Down the road, if you're looking at the transfer portal guys, you would have had to take more of them. And so maybe they would have, maybe the NIL collective issues had been resolved that it would so be, be so appealing that they could just go splash it around and pick up whoever they want. I don't know. But if, if other people were leaving and then Ryan Day's out there trying to say, please come complete my coaching staff, I'm definitely not getting fired after 2024. Don't worry about what's going on with the roster. I think it would have been a tougher sell for everything. Not saying that they couldn't have handled it, but certainly starting with Jack Sawyer and Emeka Ibuka putting down their marker, we're coming back and we want you guys to come do that. I think that added momentum for every part of the program into January. I don't know if it would have looked exactly the same. Maybe it would have, but I, Doug, you seem like, especially with the Will Howard part, the that that wouldn't have been an influence. I mean, they were a minute away from beating the national champs, right? So, like, I do, th- I don't think they were actually as close to falling apart as like the the national right. narrative is. It's like they they played right with Michigan, and then Michigan was better than everybody, and then yeah, but the whole roster was going to turn over. No, I know, but like the whole roster turns over to Ohio State all the time, and so they wouldn't be as good, clearly, but. There's also a point of like, well, you know, I think, I mean, Chip Kelly still would have come here and then we'd be sitting here talking about Carnell Tate and Jeremiah Smith and we'd be talking about, you know, CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles and Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry and uh, I'm not disputing it. I'm clearly not disputing it, but what, I think what they would have had to do is just like, like the national narrative is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like the national narrative about Ohio State is was stupid. Like Ohio State stinks. It's like they... Michigan went 15 and 0. They were that close on the road against Michigan, right? So I mean, I think it would have been um a perception battle that they would have been fighting or they would have had to just like put on headphones and turn out the noise because people would have been able to shout that louder mm-hmm. if they didn't have the guys coming back. But I mean, it's like I I I say this all the time. The first year I covered Ohio State in 2005, AJ Hawk it was AJ Hawk's last year. And I was like, that's it. How do you play replace AJ Hawk? Like they're done. <laughs> I'm like, I go three and nine. Like how do you? And then like they were like, hey, James Laurinaitis is going to start as a sophomore. It was like it's fine. He's a three time All American. So I just like sometimes when it's like, what would Ohio State do? It's like I don't know. Bring in the next group of guys who are going to be great because that's that's what Ohio State does. No, I think that that's true, but I also think that those players coming back validated Ryan Day in the national perspective. Well, in the national perspective, yes. Yeah. But that you, matters because it, you, this is a program that has been very influenced by the national perspective at times. And and we've seen Ryan Day get so far into his own head in the last few years because of the outside noise that 
whether or not he put on those headphones and, and blocked it out or whether it was those players saying, we're coming back for you, um, like something changed. I mean, th- there's a palpable difference, I think, in, in his um, like demeanor this offseason. But do you think there actually would have been a problem with Ohio State if another seven guys had gone pro? Would you have viewed that as a cultural problem? No, I don't. It's not a cultural problem, but it is a problem of 2024 when it is an absolute must-win year for Ryan Day to go into 2024 losing those guys. The secondary. I mean, I want you at, look at what the secondary would have been if you lose Lathan Ransom, Jordan Hancock, Denzel Burke. What what does that secondary look like? heading into 2024 in a pivotal year for Ryan Day. What does the defensive line look like if Jack Sawyer and Tyleek Williams and JT Tumalo out leave in what is a must-win year for Ryan Day? That becomes, you go from having the best defense you've had in five years in 2023 to what would probably be another 2018 or 2021 style defense in 2024. I, I somehow have wound up on the side of like it doesn't matter that JT came back like that's that's not what I intended to be here. It's <laughs> like, who all cares? The way there. Who cares if Emeka Buka and Denzel Burke are back? It doesn't matter. That's not at all what I mean. I think Doug, to your question specifically, if all of those guys had left, I actually do think that that would have been a cultural problem because because they hadn't won any because none of them had accomplished a single thing at Ohio State, and if they didn't believe that they could accomplish that, and I'm not saying the only reason that they're all back is to beat Michigan, win a national championship, the things that they've not done. I know that NIL is part of it. I know that there's support financially for them that makes it more appealing now than it did five years ago to stay in school and come back. But if you spend all that time saying that those things are important to you and you don't think that you can accomplish any of them, that does become at some point a reflection of Ryan Day. All of them chose to cast their lot for another year at Ohio State, either to get developed or take advantage of the opportunities or – to Bill said, we don't know which one is number one for them, and it doesn't really matter. But if they preach brotherhood and winning the game and getting gold pants and competing for championships, and then none of them decided to do that, I think that would have been a damning reflection of the program. In in narrative and perception or in actuality? I think in, in actuality. I, I don't view NFL decisions when you're deciding to go be a millionaire as a negative about the program you're leading. I, I try not to do that either. I but don't I, view it that way for a top five pick or a top ten pick, but when you have guys who are on the periphery of round three and four who are leaving, that becomes, to me, a sign that maybe guys are not bought in the way that you would expect them to be. But I, I think and this is part of why people are back is failure, right? Yep. So, And part of that is if some of these guys, if they had been top 50 picks instead of third or fourth round picks, they might have gone, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like, well, if they're NFL evaluations were a little better and they left. Is that a cultural problem? You know what I mean? Like that's because I do what I do think we'd be sitting here talking about is, you know what? That was a great recruiting class. There were great players in there, but maybe something was just missing a little bit right now. They're flipping the script. Maybe these guys aren't as highly rated, but they're hungry. They've seen the failures. And we'd be talking about Calvin Simpson hunt and Jermaine Matthews and Sonny styles as a leader. And we'd have some and Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry and this new era of Ohio state football, not like, not like good riddance to the other guys, but we'd be in flip the script mode and and finding some kind of positive in that because of the failures of the past. Because the, the bottom line here, and, and I think it's good, I think is really motivating, is this is defined by failure, right? They're here because of what they haven't accomplished. Michigan's guys all left. Everybody bailed on Michigan because they reached the mountaintop. What else is there to do? Harbaugh left, the whole staff left, all the players left. 
because they did it. Yeah. Ohio State hasn't done it. And so that can be a great driver, but I also think we would have found a way to say, okay, it's like a new era with new guys. Yeah, I'm not saying that the window for competition under Ryan Day would have been closed definitively because I do agree that good players are always either at Ohio State, waiting in the wings, or still going to come play for them. I agree with you 100% on that part. The only reason that I, I'm, sl- I'm trying to, I guess, have it both ways, the way I'm approaching this, but I, I swear that's not the intent. It's like if all of them decided to leave at the exact time when things got the very hardest for the program, then we'd, I, I would just have said something is disconnected inside the Woody, and I don't know what that is. And if that starts at the top, culture issue, reflection of Ryan Day, that's where I would have probably been looking at that in December and January. And it may have been unfair to do so, but I do look at what happened when Michigan turned the rivalry around. It was guys that were in the exact same position when Aiden Hutchinson is coming back as JT Tuimolo out. They don't even have the same NIL opportunities and support at that time. But we're going to put it off. We're going to come back because it's that important for them to beat Ohio State and turn the rivalry around. And if this group of guys had made the decision not to do that, again, if they're making a million dollars to go to the NFL, I'm not going to fault them for that. But if I'm, if we're all going to assign value that it means something that they did come back, it has to be true that if they left, it meant something as well. Yeah, no, I think I, I agree with that. It also would have been, this is a hypothetical, but like it would have, it would have been at the very least like a, a test of the culture at Ohio State right. had, had they gone because then you're, like I mentioned earlier, you're talking, I, I think anyway, about bringing upwards of double-digit transfers into your program. And, like, teams do that and succeed and are fine. Sometimes they do it, and it blows up in their face. Like, look at Michigan State. Like, it's not it's not a guarantee that you're going to load up on transfers and everything's going to be great. Um, so that would have been, I think, a, a stress point for what Ryan Day is building here, too. If he, if he felt that at this particular juncture, and I think he would have, that they had a bunch of holes on the roster. I don't think he would have just been like, okay, next man up. I think he would have gone out there and brought in, right. I don't know, 13, 14 transfers to this roster, which is not what he wants to do, um, which is not how he's built this thing, which is not what the guys that are in the building have come to expect from him. Like, I think that could have been potentially a little bit tricky and for Ohio State. Losing all those guys means that you probably don't get, as you said, the Caleb Downs, the Quinshawn Judkins. Like, I don't think those, those elite players that did transfer in I think did so because they're coming in to be a part of what these other guys are, are doing. And if you had random, you know, Joe Joe Blow from, you know, Southeast Missouri State coming in. or oh, he's good, though. Joe Blow from SEMO. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> it, it, uh, if that's who you had to go fill 15 spots on the roster with, I think that the, the, the oomph is completely different. Yeah. No oomph. The oomph factor? And I'm not knocking Joe Blow from SEMO. He's a... He's he's a good kid. A I can't good kid. player. Grindr. I can't believe you forgot about his recruitment. I mean, well, it was a, if it he was hadn't got hurt his senior year, he probably would have had an Ohio State. It was a already. COVID year, so <laughs> so weird. Doug, you're thinking about it over there. Um, have we swayed you, Doug? No, no. I I, I wound <laughs> he up. He I, can't. I wound up by myself on a side of the fence, and I'm like looking at you guys on the other side of the fence. It's like I actually want to be over there. I didn't, how did this happen? Um, it. I really try not to. Um, take monetary NFL decisions as a negative about a program. So like that's, I don't think I would be sitting here 
viewing an Ohio State team that was that close, that had a goofy bowl game, um, that I don't know that we've had any other indications of like cultural failures within the program that like if they just happen to have like a bunch of really talented juniors who went to the NFL, really talented juniors go to the NFL a lot. So that's my main point is like I, I would not have viewed it, I think, as a disaster if another five or six guys had gone. And there, there are going to be some guys, right? I mean, there's like Jack. Jack feels like he's just got a little more there to reach. He played so well at the end of the year. He's a local kid. Like, him coming back makes sense. Emeka got hurt, right? If Emeka... And that that's a little bit part of this, too. Like, if, if we're going through this, like, we'll say Emeka didn't get hurt yep. if he would have left. Let's say Denzel Lathan. played 15% better, right? Like, all these, like... You know, part of why they're here is because of what they didn't quite do. If they have been better individually would we view it that way so that, that that's my main thing it's just it's money man i love money <laughs> my, bottom line my whole thing is i love money I, I don't look at those individual decisions and say well if this guy would have left it meant there's a problem i think, think it's just a precursor to what becomes the bigger problem is that the 2024 season which is imperative like then gets sort of pushed in a weird direction yeah i mean the culture part may have been completely irrelevant it just would have been a roster in a huge amount of flux going into the most pivotal year of Ryan Day's life. Like having to build win or else team under those circumstances would have been a real problem. That's I, how I view it. Yeah. I don't know. Come, I, on, come on our side of the fence. Yeah, no, well, I mean, that's I just a different, that's a different fence. Because one of the other things <laughs> I'm boxed in by fences all around <laughs> me. There's a roof on me now. There's a hole. Um, that's called a cage. The. the <laughs> There is going to be a winner else. I don't like the word narrative. There's going to be a discussion about like you've got to win. The pressure is on, right? So now we're at a point where there's going to be people out there saying like, you're so good. Look at all these great players you have. And what's the result of having great players? The pressure is on. It's like, I don't know. Is the result of having great players just like a great opportunity to win? Like, why does it automatically have to lead to pressure? I I almost think, though, if it would have been like, man, this is like a reset year doesn't exist at Ohio State, but the quarterback transferred. All these guys went to the NFL because they're going to be millionaires. Maybe you take a breath and just like realize maybe this is more like nine and three, and man, oh man, in 2025, Julian Sand or Aaron Nolan are going to be awesome and like Lenlet's role. But like, would that mean that Ryan Day would have been fired? You can't do that. Yeah. What do you mean? You can't but, do that on the heels of losing the Michigan three years in a row and not accomplishing any of your goals. Okay. No, you But right. like, so you think like he's at that point? Yes, I do. If he would have won the national championship two years ago or last year, then that's a, you're allowed to do that in 2024, but you're not allowed to do that in 2024. After losing to Michigan three straight times. You're just not. To me, it would not have. Okay. I mean, you're right. In a, you're talking about this from a perspective of like a, a sane person. <laughs> right, right. Is that my mistake? <laughs> that's, that's, I'm on the sane side of yeah. the fence. I don't what are you doing over there? Doug, we forgot to tell you, Roosters is the irrational no, show. You're not allowed to think <laughs> rationally. It's the about irrational this. casual joint. But <laughs> they're. You, you can't do it after losing three straight times to Michigan. I would eat there four times a week if that was the real slogan. Oh, I love that irrational place. Um, I, I know what you're saying. It would just be a completely – it would be a, a different vibe. To me, it would not necessarily be like the end of this era of Ohio State football as we no, know it. It would be it. great if he could have a 2004 season. I, I completely agree with you. And, and I agree I with can't. you that you're not allowed to have those seasons yeah, anymore. Not anymore. I, I, I agree with that, but um, – the extent that you can have it was 2023 in reality. Like, quarterback situation didn't work out. You're replacing C.J. Stroud. Maybe it's an aberration. Like, you still finished 11 and 2. Yeah, they finished 11 and 2. And, like, that's, that's 
That's the only mulligan you get. Double those losses and see what this fan base does. If oh, you don't think goodness. there's pressure, Doug, try losing a game. <laughs> no, no, no. We've entered the you're allowed to lose era. Welcome to the 12-team no. playoff. You're allowed to lose now. Will, will Ryan Day have to change that mantra? If you don't think there's pressure, try losing three games. Try losing yeah. three games. <laughs> you know what you should try? These. These onion uh, feathers. Onion feathers. Yeah, they're good. Uh, Burn, what did you think of them this week? So good. So good? So good. <laughs> yeah, that's I a, just, no other comments. Mm, if they're, you, they're crispy. They're crunchy. They're oniony. And they got that plucking sauce. The, the, rest, sauce. Of, the rest of the table is diving in. The horseradish plucking sauce. You can't. You don't want to miss it. It's $3 if you come on Appetizer Thursday, which is tomorrow. Mm. Which is Tuesday. Which is, again, does it is very confusing when you say Thursday and then it's actually Tuesday. Have they considered moving it to Thursday? That's what I've asked multiple times, Bill. Well, that's Thirsty Thursday. Or was it just it was Tuesday and then inflation and now it's Thursday? <laughs> it was originally. Yeah. yeah. Um, whatever whatever, whatever the price the economy economy and inflation, that's yeah. not on this show. That's, that's Berm's other podcast. Yeah. We're going to take a break. We're going to get more food. The Rooster's Lenten menu is also out now. It's that time of year. The fish basket. A little fish basket? A little fish sandwich. You can't go wrong with that. Buffalo cauliflower, which uh, we had when we did the show with Omeka <laughs> at uh, the fairway. And I was eating it. And I was like, this chicken tastes weird. <laughs> and then Austin's wife was like, that's because it's cauliflower. I yeah. Like, oh, okay. You know, I can't wait. I, I'm now I'm imagining Emeka telling that story to his friends. Like, you should have. This guy was like, "This chicken tastes weird." <laughs> it was cauliflower. Bill, Bill said that he was a chicken wing expert, and he just he's like, "There's something wrong with these wings. It's because they can't fly. They came out of the ground." All right, we're gonna take a break, and we're gonna be right back in here at Roosters. It's a fun casual joint. Roosters has been so fortunate. We just want to be able to give some of that back to the community. They donate to organizations that are near and dear to their heart, and we're so fortunate to have been with Roosters now for a long time. They always go above and beyond to help support our foundation to further help veterans. It's just a wonderful feeling to know that Roosters supports the Buckeye Cruise for Cancer. All the folks at Roosters are just genuinely kind folks, and they want to make a difference. Thank you, Roosters Foundation. Thank you, Roosters. Thank you, Roosters. Thank you, Roosters Foundation. Welcome back into Roosters, a fun casual joint. Doug, Bill, Berman, and me, Austin, and we're getting ready for spring ball, which is two weeks away. Mm, I don't how know. incredible is that? So if we're saying that Pretty the offseason is over, that means spring ball is here. Doug, what are you most curious about? What position Day? Sonny Styles plays? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the show's over. It's Sonny Styles <laughs> show again. That's all. Isn't he the most fascinating player like anywhere? I don't know. Are you going to be frustrated? I, I'm, I'm anticipating Berm being frustrated. On, Regarding at, what? At, at the first practice, maybe. Will you be happy with where he's lined up? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to be lined up at linebacker, I think. So I, I'll be happy about it. Okay. What if he's not? Then I'll be like, oh, well, it's first practice. No big deal. <laughs> no, you won't. You'll I'll, storm this, off. You remember his resolution. It's to be positive. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. It's obvious to pretty much everyone that that's where he's going to need to be, I think. Now... In a case where he, the player himself, was pushing back against that, I think that you could have an argument about, okay, let's give him another year at safety. He'll go off to the NFL, and they'll move him to linebacker, right? But I don't think that Sonny is fighting it. Um, and so I think that as long as he's on board with it, then then it seems pretty obvious. I think he's pushing it. Yeah, I mean, I think he's been the guy driving the bus. Eat. He wants to eat. He's tired of eating <laughs> like a rabbit to stay at 220. Yeah. But. You know, you have to ask when we we talked at length about this uh, two weeks ago or so on the on the daily. Like, what does that mean for the defense? And, and I think that it's encouraging to me if he is a linebacker that they have a lot of things they can do on defense if you put him at linebacker and you 
can get really weird with the alignments and, and you can do a lot of funny things and funky things and uh, irrational things, irrational things. I want my defense to do irrational things. Yeah. Don't you? Like, I, I Absolutely. Don't Makes it hard to prepare for. Yeah. It. Don't be rational on defense. We thought they were going to blitz, but they got completely irrational. <laughs> they just ran everybody off the field. I mean, uh, the biggest question, <laughs> I, I'm just going to jump in here, is where's Josh Fryer lining up? That's that's the most oh. important question for Ohio State. You trying to cut off Bill? Or yes, what? I was. Okay. Wow. Uh, I was trying to make sure that I got to say something Jumped about the, the offensive line. line. Like, that is the most important thing. Like, where is Josh Fryer lining up? Because that, tell, that answers a, um, a lot of questions about what Ohio State thinks is going to happen at right tackle, which is the most important piece yeah. of this. Puzzle. He's going to be at right tackle in the first day of spring practice. Yeah, I was just going to say – Let's all place bets. Do you think he will start on day one at right tackle or right guard? I think it's going to be right guard. I'm just I'm just going to manifest for it. the season or for spring. First practice. It should be like both. March. But. What is it? March fifth that Tuesday when we get in there, assuming it's like previous years and we see the first practice. Is he going to be a guard or tackle? He was at left tackle the first practice last year, right? Yeah. And and all of spring. Yeah. Until he's, until he's, Landis shamed him out of playing it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I think he's going to be at right tackle only because I feel like that's that's sort of the way Ohio State's done things, right? Like, I'm trying to remember. But, like, in the, in the one the one summer we went out there, like, you didn't know what the offensive line was going to look like. And, like, for one week it looked like one thing. And then the next week we went out there and, like, Dewan Jones is playing right tackle. It's like, oh, okay, well, like, that's what they're going to do. But I don't think they ever, like, come out on the first day and do the thing they're going to do in the fall. Um so I think that Josh Fryer will be at right tackle. Would you start with the thing that you know he can do, or would you start with no. the thing that I would use? I would use spring ball to let him do the thing that he hasn't done, that he should do, that he should do. Yes, but it's the same thing we talked about with Davis Nguyenosen. Like, go, you're playing man coverage for 15 practices. Have fun. Yeah. Um. That, that's what I would. So I would put Josh Fryer at right guard for 15 practices, even if like, and it's not even saying you've made the decision that he's going to play right guard for the season, but you have these 15 practices right. that can tell you whether or not he can handle which is why i'm saying that he's going to start at right guard on march 5th and because this is your window to see what you have with luke montgomery or tegra shibola or george fitzpatrick or zen maholsky or anyone else because if you don't have your right tackle coming out of spring ball you have to find a way to uh, get one in the portal and you need to know for sure, if you have that right tackle on this roster, or you decide that Friars are right tackle, yeah, because there's, be Josh there's not a better one in the portal. Sure, uh, but you're Ohio State, and it's new. It's 2024. If you want one in the portal, you can get someone to get in the portal. But that wasn't true. That's last year. not really true. It didn't happen last year. <laughs> it's a much more. <laughs> they're demonic now. <laughs> they don't care. Feelings are out the window now. They're demonic and irrational. Yes. They can, they can entice, that's they can not entice the someone around the country to jump in there. Are you sure demonic is the word yes. you want to go with here? Yes. Okay. What if we walked in on the first day of practice instead of where it says, like, tough love, just demonic, <laughs> irrational. And Berm is like, yes. I'm I would be scared of his power if those words are in the, on the wall in the woody in two weeks. The point is, I, I think this is the time you have to figure out uh, I, I think we can all remember a year ago, and Josh Fryer did the best he rightly could at right tackle, I, but it, it wasn't the right fit. And so if you're looking at this roster now and you want to see what you have with Montgomery or Shibola, which I think are the likely starting points of you know, of this next, you know, uh, iteration, exploration slash iteration, then you give those guys the 15 practices to see what they can do. I'll buy that. I'll buy I'll say Fryer right guard because... 
every, you know what you have with yeah. him as a right tackle, and, and you need every snap and practice you can get of trying to see what else you may or may not have at right tackle. I always think about the first practice of spring in 2014 where we all thought it was going to be like Trey Johnson is going to be out there at linebacker, and Darren Lee was. And mm-hmm. like, on day one, after winning workouts, they just threw him out there like, this is what we're going to do. So I do. They did that with Michael Jordan, too. I can't remember who we thought was going to be starting at guard that year with the first day of spring practice, Michael Jordan was... Uh, Matt Burrell? Was, maybe it was Matt Burrell. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we can say March 5th doesn't mean anything. There's still six months to go. But it it does feel like once they already get to that point, like it's practice one of 35, right? It's not It's not one of spring <laughs> Also, ball. let me tell you. This. <laughs> tell me how the schedule works, Bill. <laughs> spring, spring is an extension of the of, of It the is. <laughs> okay. Of, of fall camp. So fall camp. It's not the, it's not the, the first of 16. It's the first practice of. The first practice of fall camp is in practice number 16. That's right. Okay, so we if that's it. the case, I do think that they are trying to not, to not just experiment, but actually put a plan in place and then see if that works, which I, I guess is an experiment in a lot of ways, but I don't think that this program, since I've been around it, doesn't waste a lot of opportunities. If there are practice reps and if you are on the field, inside or outside at the Woody, it's done with clear intent. So if you think that Josh Fryer is going to be this team's guard, I think he's going to be there on the first day of camp. All right, you've all changed my mind. Hey! <laughs> Welcome to our side of the fence, Bill. <laughs> he didn't want to be in a cage. No. Let me out of here. What, big, okay, what cage. other position can we... Can we uh, <laughs> CJ Hicks. We throw around. Will there be a Jack? Nah, uh, no. I don't know. There should be. Yep. And I don't want to hear like, oh, we're going to get through spring ball and then we'll think about it. It's like, well, no. unleash them then. <laughs> this is your third year, Jim Knowles. Either you're doing it or you're not. So let's do it in spring. So That, that has been the worst part yeah. of these shenanigans. No, we don't install that in March. Okay, well, then you're never putting it on. So Jim Knowles is no, long, no longer the linebackers coach, right? Well, he wasn't last year either. Right. But, but if James Ornette is coaching linebackers and Tim Walton's coaching corners and Mac Rary is coaching safeties and Larry Johnson's coaching the defensive line, does that not free up Jim Knowles to be the Jack coach? He's the head coach of the defense. He's the head coach of the Jack. And the head coach of the Jack. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that. And there's enough options. Like HCJ. It should be part of it. He will just Velcro himself to CJ Hicks for 15 practices. I, music to my ears, man. CJ Hicks or, or Arvell Reese or Mitchell yeah. Melton. Like, <clears throat> they have multiple guys who feel yeah. like they were either designed in a lab to play that or recruited specifically to do it. They need... It needs to be part of it. And like when they have the little pictures of the position coach taking the guys out to do stuff, it'll just be those three guys in Jim Knowles' office smoking cigars. <laughs> Re- reading War and Peace. Our team outing. Eating, yeah. eating veggies. What you guys do? We read Hemingway. <laughs> <laughs> or he read it to us. And we, we practice saying, go birds. <laughs> That's culture. That is. All right. That's like eating cauliflower that tastes that you think is chicken. <laughs> you think <it's> chicken. <laughs> Bill comes in. He's like, I got two things to talk about. Philly's opening day starter, and you got to try these new wings. You got to try these wings that grow out of the ground. <laughs> They're great. You're not going to believe it. All right. Where else can we talk about? Is that all the intrigue? Sonny Styles, C.J. Hicks, and Josh Fryer. That can't be it. No, I'm, I'm the first person I'm looking for is Jeremiah Smith. When we get out okay, there. All right. Yeah. No, I think I think receivers in, intriguing. Um, like Emeka is Emeka, and I, I guess there's some conversation about like, is he going to be the guy that plays in the slot the majority of the time again, or will he actually play some outside and maybe create an opening for for Brandon Ennis? Um, I think Emeka has the flexibility to play to play anywhere, and we'll probably help him to do so in the eyes of the NFL if Ohio State moves him around a little more. 
I also got very excited about Marvin Harrison Jr. playing in the slot more last year, and they didn't really do that all that much. So, uh, I don't well, slot mech is just easier slot, to say. Slot mech is easier to say, and he's done it. But now it's outside mech. Now we're looking for outside mech. Um, oh, mecca. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> but the young guys there, I, I, I want to watch Jeremiah Smith. I want to watch Brandon Innes. I want to I see like what Carnell Tate looks like after you know going through winter workouts and cuz he he feels of of like the next wave he feels kind of like the most solidified right i, I don't want to well he's a starter right he's going he's going he's to start yeah so um but like even like i don't know Keon Grays Bryson Rogers like all all those all those guys like i like it's a, it's a really interesting group to me and a a group that i think is going to be feeling a lot of pressure i think out, outside of Mecca to like really step up and grab a spot and like how many spots are there are there going to be three guys who play the majority of the snaps again, are they going to extend this thing to make it more more like 2018 and maybe have like four or five, six guys who play somewhat evenly? Like, I, I don't I don't know. There's there's possibilities there that I think that make that position worth watching beyond just like you got to find a couple of new starters and you got to replace Mark. And I think what's interesting is that you can assume that Emeka will not do a lot during spring, but everyone else is pretty yeah. much full go mm-hmm. uh, where you, that hasn't been the case the last few years because you've had the, the veterans. So, um, it is a really pivotal spring for Keon Grays, for Kojo Antwi, for, uh, yes, Bryson Rogers. I mean, who did transfer. He entered the transfer <laughs> portal and then didn't. I was looking at um, a list of Ohio State's incoming transfers the other day, and I was like, why does it say seven? It's because they were counting <laughs> Bryson Rogers. No, so they they plucked him out of the portal. So, I mean, <laughs> it's I, a big-time pickup. But to me, it's tight end. I mean, I, I think that you, you add Will Kazmarek, and we expect that he'll be the starter. Um, but... Beyond that, I don't know exactly what you're going to get or what to expect out of Bennett Christian and his return. Um, Jelani Thurman, who obviously is being looked at as a guy that should be one of your your next wave of of, of stars, but is he ready to take on that role? I mean, uh, that's going to be interesting to me. And then you have G. Scott, who, what is he? <laughs> is he able to be a full-time every play tight end? Because if he is, then you have Kazmarek and G that you figure that's a pretty good starting point. But then what do you do with Jelani? So is Bennett Christian just a, a glorified, you know, offensive lineman? Like, I, that's an interesting spot to me just because you the two guys you signed in the 2024 class are not on campus. So this is those guys are not even in the picture for this coming fall, especially because Demarion Witten could be a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's just a position that if Ryan Day and Chip Kelly's offense is going to work the way they want, they need – Guys who are like solid tight ends, and I don't know if you have someone that you can look at and say that that that's a, a lock it in. Kazmarek is here to start, so beyond that, what do you have? Did you catch any of those Demarion Winton basketball highlights? And he's Senate, a freak, Senate man. I've tried to tell people like he, he, he is. He is, <laughs> is he is different. <laughs> he is, as the kids say, built different. Yeah, <laughs> he is. But he's he can be wide receiver. I think that you know when you lost Jeremiah McClellan um, uh, on signing day to Oregon. And you only sign two wideouts. Demarion Witten may very well be, end up being that third guy, and then you have a whole different conversation at that. Well, especially because of the pickup of, of Kazmarek, who I I think we tend to overlook it because of the age old Ohio State tight end conversation that Kate Stover helped partially uh, erase with his production over the last couple of years. But I've, I've had this discussion with Bill a number of times, like. How much does Ryan Day, and I guess to this extent we'll find out with Chip Kelly, want to use 12 personnel? It seems like Ryan Day's most successful offenses are using 12 about a third of the time, 30% of the time. Um, I think that I, that's still accurate information. I've certainly cited it a number of times, but 
So that's why I want to see what Kazmarek looks like out there competing against other Ohio State caliber athletes. We've seen the film. We know that Keenan Bailey is a big believer in what he brings physically. But if you're going to try and find two of them, how does he hold up if he's out there having to block at times and work against JT Tuimoloau or Jack Sawyer in some reps? Is that going to work as a blocker? What do the routes look like if he's matched up against somebody like Jordan Hancock? There's, I think, going to be some opportunities to learn a lot about him throughout camp, but it can't just be him. So we've seen G. Scott in – 60 spring practices at this point. Um, mm. how, I mean, it's, and you shouldn't see him for many of them this, this spring. Crazy, so but, it does open the door for Bennett and Jelani to, to have that opportunity. But he, I mean, I don't think he's not in a situation where his game reps mean that he is like a finished product at tight end. So he probably still has to be out there. Uh, this, this has been a long-term development project for him. What does that look like? Even in this, this final year coming back for it, uh, certainly Jelani Thurman, we've, we know that he's he's probably seven and a half feet tall now because he gets two inches taller uh, every month. But I mean, what does that look like in year two? You, if they're trying to find two, I'm not entirely sure like how confident I am that they're gonna get Cade Stover level production, let alone a combo like when they had you know Farrell and, and Ruckert together. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's really important for the overall health of the Ohio State offense. I think they are gonna want to try to find two. If like if like like Berm said like if, if what Chip Kelly was doing at UCLA is going to carry over, he played in twelve personnel a decent amount. Now like Chip's background, he's kind of done everything. Like and, and in the same game, he'll give you twelve personnel and uh, ten personnel and like run the same place. So, like that's it's kind of the beauty of of having Chip here. But he wants to design his run game with heavier personnel packages, and I think it's a fair point to to raise. Like do they do they have the tight ends on hand to do that? Um, because I don't, I think Will Kazmarek is probably like he's a pretty good blocker at Ohio. I agree with you on G Scott, and then the rest of the room, I'm not sure. I was I was really bullish on Bennett Christian when they brought him in as a guy who was going to be a pretty good blocker yeah. almost from the start. But then he had the the thing last year we didn't really get to see anything of, of him. So um, maybe it's there, but I do think it, it it's not it's not a like staring you in the face, bright lights shining like look at this position going in the spring. But actually, I, I think it is rather interesting. I'm I'm, I'm trying to. Think now. What is our expectation of sophomores at Ohio State right now? Like second year players, right? So we we've had guys in recent years, Trayvon Henderson, Denzel Burke, who like you know burst out as true freshmen, kind of because they're needed and they have the ability to do that. But for a Jelani Thurman conversation, for a guy who the minute you see him is like, well, that's different, right? And everybody was super excited about what would hold us back from thinking, all right, it's year two, you got a veteran guy from the MAC to be the blocking tight end, and you have this absolute rare combination of skills. It's the second year as Ohio State. They had him in the weight program. They had him on the nutrition program. He had a full year of practice. Jelani Thurman comes out and is their second tight end and is ready to be a factor in this offense. Why Why wouldn't we be there? Only because Ohio State tells us yeah. that that's not the expectation for that position specifically. So uh, it's a developmental position because you have to run routes like a wide receiver and block like a right tackle. They 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 set that standard for themselves, and they think that that's a more challenging position to learn than just about anything else on the roster. So I'm not I'm I come from the same vantage point as you, Doug. With everything that he has working in his favor, the extra time that I know Ohio State staff spent helping bring him along a year ago, it is to take that big step in year two. But I've just been had it beaten into my skull mm. that that's not what I should expect because of 
what they say about the developmental position. I, I would love to see Jelani Thurman buck that trend. And if, if he can't, then I'm not ever going to believe anyone can. This makes me want to research second-year tight ends in college football in the last 10 years. I mean, there's I'm looking at Luke Farrell now to see how much he played in the second year. There's Brock Bowers, and that's about it. Uh, but no, it's the things that he does with Jelani can do the size, the you know that stuff. It, it, you look at it, and you go, "Wow, we we know exactly what that is." But we really don't know much else. I mean, he he was playing at the second highest level in Georgia and played very well in high school. His father's an NFL, you know, longtime NFL guy, and Odell Thurman. Like you know that the kid's got the pieces to be a really good player. But I think that you look at a highly ranked tight end. They come in. They're from Georgia. All the all the all the other things. And you go, well, then he's got to be he's got to be a finished product. And like, he's not. If he was, he would have played. I don't think that Keenan Bailey, in his first year as as a position coach, yeah, he had Cade Stover, but Cade was hurt a lot, and and Jelani was not the guy they put out there, especially but, at Rutgers. At Rutgers, Cade doesn't play. the uh, The belief going into the game was that this is Jelani's game, and they end up putting in Patrick Gerd out there in the key moments instead of Jelani because clearly he wasn't in their minds ready for it. Now. How did he take this off season? That's that's the question, I guess. I mean, is he he had a couple catches in what Minnesota? Was that the game that he had or Michigan State? Whatever Michigan State, I believe the, the first down when he gets up and he didn't have the first down. He put it anyway, you know, stuff like that. Where you like, okay. you just have to get reps at it. <laughs> he, you know, maybe maybe he's got a little bit to go to get uh, to be that guy. But the physical skill is clearly there. Now you have to put that together. Do you catch the ball? Do you hold on to the ball? I mean, those are the things that they're looking at that we don't get to see that we just assume because he's a player at, a, at Ohio State that he can catch the football. But maybe maybe he's not as good at it as, as we think. You played a lot of receiver too, right, in high school? Like was, yeah, just just a big split end. I mean, yeah. you just put him out there and you <clears throat> jump ball it. Uh, Luke Farrell redshirted, played 106 snaps, and then played 647 snaps in his third year, by the way. And that's about what you would expect from the Ohio State what did Rucker do in, in year two, though? That's a great question, Doug. I'll research it while you guys talk. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to guess that the uh, snap count was a lot Doug, higher give a phone, too. Doug, give a phone, too. <laughs> Why don't you look it up, Doug? Does he say that to you when you guys are recording Kings? Like He's staring at the screen and it's reflecting off his glasses, and you're just sitting there like, yeah. you got that for me, Bill? Is there another- People think sometimes on Kings that like I'm annoyed by Doug or uh, like I'm bothered with the show to end because I'm looking things up. That's all I'm doing is looking things up. Is there, is there, you have a curious mind. Excuse, is yeah. there a different yeah. position, Doug, that you are like, okay. You've Luke played. Farrell played, or not, excuse me, Luke Farrell. Jeremy Rucker played 130 snaps as a true freshman and then 405 snaps as a sophomore. So 2019. It can be done. I think that's a. It requires a different plan, right? Like they did not want. I think but you had Farrell. So you had that yeah, guy. Yeah, because they didn't, they didn't need Jeremy Rucker to go out there and be. But he was essentially a, a big split end for the Buckeyes in 2019. So now you but, got Will Kuzmarek. Will Kuzmarek is your Luke Farrell. Yeah. 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 And, so, and Thurman's your record. Yeah. I mean, ideally, I think it works. But then you have the questions of, you know, what do you do with G? What do, I mean, is there a role? I mean, that, that's what the spring is about, right? I think G's role is kind of what it's been. Like, G's not. I guess G played more last year. Um, but, like, they do stuff with third tight ends. Or they have a package. You can have a package of plays for G. Put him in down on the goal line. I don't. I would just like. I don't. I don't want to see G Scott. No offense. Like block Jelani Thurman's path to the field. If Jelani's ready to go, and I don't really have any reason to think he wouldn't be irrational. Demons. <laughs> Too much rationality in this fun casual joint. Yeah. 
mac and cheese bites are on point. Are they? Yeah. You give them a 10 out of 10? Yeah, I mean, you can tell just by looking at the fried food that's on the table right now that... Uh, I can tell just by how quickly six of them disappear. Yeah, this was a... Uh, this was a, a... This is a... There's a different glow. The fryer oil has been changed this morning, you can tell. I'm yeah. very conflicted about how much I'm supposed to eat while all we're doing done. the show. Yeah. All of it. Or For real? No, just however much you want. If... But don't feel like you can't eat. I had a I had a summer job one time, and I was told that there was a girl I was working with who maybe kind of liked me a little bit. And then we ate lunch together, and after we ate lunch, she didn't like me anymore. So I think oh. there's something about my chewing that I'm very apprehensive about, and I don't want people to turn off this show because Still? of my. Are chewing. you sure she liked you to begin with? Maybe that was the word. That was eat, the word on the street. They at man. least got to eat lunch together. Yeah, that's step one. Free chicken fingers. Lunch out. Yeah. Where so. was this place at? The- it was a, a Hershey Park oh, okay. amusement park in oh. central Pennsylvania. Hershey Park, yeah. happy. Yeah. That feels like, if we're talking about changing out the uh, fry oil in yeah. Hershey Park, that we've reached the end of the road. The ch- that we've, we're, we've hit the proverbial changing of the fryer oil on the Ohio State <laughs> football offseason. We are <laughs> getting ready to we fry We went from Josh Fryer to fryer oil. That's the full experience that you can only get at Roosters with us in the Horseshoe Lounge. On Appetizer Thursday, which is a Tuesday, you can get the onion feathers for $3. Don't forget that. The uh, We'll have some Buckeyes back next week, I promise you. Once the Cruise for Cancer returns to port, we'll get Bob, Jay-Z, Zach Bourne, Tyvis, Bradley Robinson all back in here as spring ball uh, approaches, which is two weeks from Appetizer Thursday tomorrow. Don't miss that. But we have a lot more coverage coming your way uh, on the podcast all week long and on Kings of Columbus and Kings of the North and, and everything uh, that we can possibly come up with with all of these folks. That's Doug Maurice, Bill Landis, Jeremy Birmingham. I'm Austin Ward. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back again next week, and maybe it'll be even better. I don't know, but we'll talk to you then.